Welcome to the Money Making Women podcast with me, Ray Dodd. I'm a money and business coach who believes that you are absolutely capable of earning life-changing amounts of money. I also believe that doing so is not as straightforward as the internet makes out. If you're looking for a conversation that goes beyond pure manifestation and hustle and into the nuance and intersections of what it means to be a money-making woman, then this is the space for you. Welcome to another episode of Money Making Women. It's always lovely to do these, I have to say said this a bit on Instagram stories but I am just loving having this podcast I'll do an episode soon on the fact that this is my third attempt at a podcast the first one never saw the light of day um although thank you to those of you that were interviewed on that it's a really good example of showing up imperfectly or in the end not showing up with it second one it's still on my website and you can have a listen to that but it was before I moved into talking about money specifically and then there's this one, and I'm just really enjoying it, um, which has been a bit of a surprise. Not because, that <laughs> sounds like, huh, who would have thought? But more because, I don't know, I just um, have often found them a bit of a time pressure. And actually, I'm just, yeah, really, really, really loving this way of communicating with everybody. So today, let's see how this comes out, because at what I'd planned to say, it's not completely coming out the way I'd imagined. So we'll see. We'll see what, what we've got to say. I wanted to talk about something that I have did. I did a um, Instagram post on the other day and I was talking about this idea of doing good, making money. And I've actually got that right in front of me. I went on Canva and made it into a little poster, like an A4 poster. and It's on my notice board right in front of me. And it's become a real important mantra and something that also has let me or enabled me to make sense of something I've been questioning for quite a while and has increased over the last few months, over a number of experiences I've had and things I've observed. It's helped me really, yeah, make sense of this issue. So anyone who knows me, not just on really on Instagram, but I mean in real life, knows that I'm someone who goes through these quite intense phases of quite deep obsessions. So, and they can be about quite um, random things. I've actually noticed them lessening lately because they could be really intense a while ago. And I wonder if it was a bit of, anyway, there's some healing to be done that I didn't realise about. But they can be random things. So, for example, for a while, I had a deep obsession with pins. You know, those little enamel metal pins. Some of you will probably have an obsession with those. And I bought loads of them. When I had small children, it was slings. So fabric slings, woven slings. And there are people around that have like, there was one woman I used to see in the various Facebook groups who had like shelves of them. And I remember totting up and being like, my goodness, how much did that cost? Uh, Because they're not cheap. They're like a hundred quid a pot, pretty much. I think like, yeah. So I had quite a few of those and I'll get really into certain things. And yeah, there'd be many. There'd be many. Oh, I was thinking of others. I wrote down a few. The other one, this is slightly different to slings and pins which are much more like uh, possessions. One that is still ongoing, and many of my clients know about this one, but is Dean from Supernatural, so uh, played by the actor Jensen Ackles. Just talking about him makes me feel weird <laughs> in a good way. Like straight away, I kind of go, <laughs> and I become like a teenage girl about it. And my old teenage self who used to get these kind of obsessions with actors and uh, musicians frequently. Oh, now I'm thinking about a number of them. There was a Dave Grohl one for quite a while. I'm trying to think who else there was. So many, so many. You might be able to hear my kids in the background, by the way, but welcome to, welcome to 2020 slash 21. So um, when I think about those kind of 
phases that I have, they really define certain times in my life. And I think when I look at back at this time that we're in at the moment, one of the things that will define it is these are my Simon Sinek months. <laughs> so lots of my clients will have, are like, oh my God, she's talking about him again. And I'm not, I, I don't feel about Simon Sinek, no offense, Simon, like I feel about Jensen Ackles. It's a different thing. So Simon Sinek is an author. He's written a couple of books and the book that I've become, been really reading and really has been shaping my brain is uh, one called The Infinite Game. And I'm going to talk more about that as we go on. So clients know that I've been banging on about this book uh, and I'm, along with a couple of others for quite a while now. And I wanted to record an episode about, you know, really what, how this is shifting my thinking uh, and why I think what's said in this book really matters. So I want to unpack like one of the most impactful parts. I mean, really, this whole episode is based on one line in the book. But it's a line that really encapsulates a lot of what the book's about. So I've been in the online coaching space as a client and a coach for around five years now. I think that makes me ancient in, um, in the online world. And I've watched coaches, small businesses, entrepreneurs rise massively, make loads of money, stumble make mistakes, fall, crash, disappear. I've seen lots of stuff. And I love, love watching women and marginalized folks make money. It brings me so much joy. It's like my team winning at their chosen game. Like the way that my husband feels about Charlton Athletic is a lot of how I feel watching someone who traditionally societally is not supposed to make money going out and doing it like it brings me deep deep joy but there's something I've noticed and at times I've really judged myself for even noticing this thinking maybe my expectations are too high maybe I'm being really black and white maybe I'm being judgmental or harsh or honestly maybe I'm being a bitch these thoughts will come up and what I've noticed is that people who say they are for women they say they are for making money, that they want to make money to have an impact, often an impact that focuses on equality or charitable giving even. But, you know, these aren't people who are just like, oh, no, money, 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 money. These are people with, with an outward focus. And time and time again, I've found out that those people are using either sell selling tactics that don't align with the sorts of value and not just don't align with my values because that's one thing you know if somebody's being quite you know if if someone's values are different to me then you know that that is what it is but often what I'm seeing more is people who seem to have values like mine and talk about values like the sort of values I talk about and by that I mean like fairness equity um, inclusion justice those things and probably others as well that I'm not thinking of right now and then I find out that in the background other stuff's going on or I see something and go yeah but then you're doing that and and I want to be clear like of course there's space for disagreements here of course there is we're not all gonna believe the same stuff but it's just kind of jarred with me so yeah time and time again I found out that those people are using either selling tactics that do not put those sorts of values at the forefront or they've struggled to speak on issues that I would have thought they would speak up on. And a huge part of what I teach, and, and that's been a real like sliding scale from some people who maybe initially I was naive about to other people where I really did expect more or a different thing. 
a huge part of what I teach and my own journey around money has been learning to let go of money-based judgments. In my course, Plenty, we talk about this a lot. And there is an important bit here between judgments and discernment. I'm not going to go into that massively today. I really want to talk about, I really want to talk about judgments. So you know the ones. Money judgments are things like all rich people are evil. You know, that, that good old phrase, money is the root of all evil. Rich women look like something out of dynasty was a big one for me. Like this idea that how could I look like me with the body I have, with the way I speak, with the clothes I like? How could I, I this person who's not polished and not shiny, how could I make that kind of money? And I went to a private school, which with my parents, we didn't pay for it. My grandparents did. I always say I lived, I had the smallest house pretty much. Not quite. There was some, a couple of people on scholarships. <laughs> and then um, we had a tiny, in fact, I think our house was smaller than the people even who's, who were on scholarships. But I, we had like, I wanted the smallest house of everybody there. And a lot of the mums were really shiny. Like there was not loads of plastic surgery, but there was some. And they were just really well groomed and really cared for. And really like, you know, they all used Clarins. And I, I think that is partly where my skincare obsession comes from. And it just didn't feel like my family. And I know my mum felt that too. So that idea that like, but you, you know, these are the people that make money and they're separate to me. And sometimes there's this kind of, I don't think it's reverse snobbery, but it's like maybe left wing or liberal snobbery around like, well, I'm not like that. I, I care about people and therefore I don't look certain ways, even though those things don't have to be um, connected in any way. And so I've worked hard on not believing that the pursuit of money automatically made a person bad or um, shiny or uh, vacuous or shallow or all these different things. And that was a really important part of me allowing myself to earn more money, knowing that I could remain me, that I could do it as me. So I still think there's a lot of truth to be found there. So I'm often very reticent to judge. When people are going about things different to me, differently to me in a material sense. And I want to be clear that what I've connected between what I said earlier on in here about, you know, people not fully seeming to completely follow the values I'd expect. What I've also noticed is often those people are talking more about the material side of wealth as well. And so I'm doing this really carefully because it feels like it needs to be treated carefully because there's a lot of nuance here. And I'm also gonna say right now, I might be really off base with what I'm gonna say. I might, you know, it might be in a few months, days, <laughs> years. I might be like, wow, I just didn't realize, I didn't know. You know, I often think about becoming a parent and what that taught me about what I thought I knew about parenting. And I am not someone who's earning millions. You know, so maybe I'm wrong. But what I've noticed is that the pursuit of the of certain things seems to be in some ways, not always linked to some of this stuff. So as we speak, I'm not interested. You know, I've talked a bit. I don't think I've talked loads about it, but we are saving to buy a house. Um, we've rented until now. We still rent now, but we are um, in the process of saving up a deposit. I'm not interested in owning a really massive house. Don't get me, be, don't get me wrong, it'd be sizable. What I really want, I could talk to you for hours about it, is a um, Victorian terrace, that sort of thing. 
and I'd like it to have a basement and I'd love it if I had space for a loft conversion so that we could have a spare room and I'd like an office at the end of the garden. So I'm not saying like I want to live in like a small space. I'm not suggesting that. But I also don't have interest in living in a huge house, you know, and, and this is not a judgment on anyone else. This is just what I would like. And I'm very happy to spend a whole lot of money on what goes into that house. I already have my eyes set on a 500 pound lampshade. Like I'm not suggesting that this is not me talking about budgeting and scrimping and there being some kind of morality about how much money we spend. That's and I hope that will become clear as I talk. But I also think it's important that just because somebody wants something different to me, that 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 I recognize that that doesn't make them bad and me better. As if my modest desires, like I said, are okay, but theirs are not. There are so many problematic places to go with that. It reminds me of modest versus immodest dressing, like this idea. And I remember thinking like that when I first came across feminism, that, you know, particularly thinking about pop stars, like female pop stars and being like, well, they shouldn't be wearing those. They're just showing off their body and they shouldn't be doing that. And that's like somehow that's a um, like going against the cause, not the cause, the band. (laughs) Oh, that's really amused me. Not the cause of the band, the cause, as in C A U S E. It doesn't matter if they go against the cause of the band, it's fine. I think they're doing well. I don't know what they're doing. Jim caused like spreading vaccine nonsense, if anyone needs to know that. Don't ask me how I know those things. I have a, lot, a head full of absolutely nonsense celebrity info. Back to what I was actually talking about. I don't want to start suggesting that somebody that wants a big house or a mansion is morally problematic. That's not what I'm saying. I think we get ourselves into some really murky, problematic water when we do that. And so, like, clearly, I don't think, I think women can wear whatever they want. And similarly, like, you you go after the house you want. Like, absolutely. This idea that, you know, it would be more moral to choose the smaller the smaller option. And, and um, I think Paul Jarvis talks about this in Company of One. He talks about the idea of vertical wealth versus horizontal wealth so horizontal wealth being more like you know you don't necessarily get bigger and bigger things and vertical wealth like you're climbing kind of like up and up and up it's also the flip side of bigger equals better if bigger doesn't equal better then neither does smaller smaller shouldn't equal better either they just are we need to allow for people just to be for dreams to being what they are and so rather than judgment which is what I would naturally fall into I got quite curious about it and by like I've seen people's businesses not work or I've seen things just happening in a way that you know doesn't look quite right you know I'm going to write a post on this soon but we we pursue these overnight successes and that's really what the internet sells us and I heard about somebody um a program recently that promised to make you a million in three months And everything I know from not just my own experience, because I haven't made that money yet. I don't know if I will. That's to be continued. But um, equally, like I've I've watched businesses fall over when they expand too quickly. And I've seen that quite a lot in a few different places. And um, that's because they don't have the structure there. They don't have the team. And it's a lot to grow your business. Like for a program to suggest it's going to grow your business to a million in three months from like six figures, from like a hundred grand to a million in three months. 
I don't know how sustainable that is for the majority of people. Some people would style that out. Absolutely. The majority of people would find themselves absolutely stressed out and trying to scramble to keep up. We really berate ourselves often for not growing fast enough. But if you want a business that's going to last, it has to be that kind of bit by bit as we change. Because a business that is making 100 grand is a very different business to one that's turning over a million. So I got curious rather than judgmental, which has in the past been my default of like, well, it's just because they're bad. I got curious and was like, why, why would that happen in that situation? Why, when things are growing fast, are things falling over? Why, when people are pursuing these kind of bigger goals and sometimes doing it with speed, but why is that not working? And so what's going on there was my question. And how can we ensure that we both acknowledge the fullness of what we desire, because I don't want to fall into a trap of thinking that it was their pursuit of that lifestyle that led them there. I don't think that's helpful. So how can we both acknowledge the fullness of what we desire and make sure that we don't find ourselves doing things outside of our own integrity and even more so outside of what is truly good for our fellow humans? And this is what brings me back to my new mate, Simon Sinek. <laughs> In the book, he talks about, I love how it's a completely one-sided friendship and he has no idea who I am. In the book, he talks about the importance of the order in which we do this money stuff. He says, we need to make sure we are not merely making money to do good. Because I said right back at the beginning, often the people that I'm looking at, they're not people, they are saying like things about feminism and things about equity and inclusion. And, you know, there is some form of empowerment to what they're talking about. They are, there is a goodness in their money making, at least in intent, whether or not it happens actually. So how do we make sure we don't find ourselves in a similar situation? Because I think it's so important to not put ourselves in a situation. There's been a lot of chat um, on Instagram this week around the coaching industry and whether or not it should be regulated and problematic ways of selling and all of that stuff. And what I see a lot of is people sharing about it and it can feel a little bit like they're saying it's not me by the way it's not me and actually we need to be really careful with that because we need to make sure we're asking ourselves the, the question and not just immediately saying that's not me we need to be like where is that me where have I done that where am I not getting this where am I not in alignment with what I believe with what my values are with how I want other humans to feel and how I want to treat them and so as Simon says in the book like, why am I talking about him like first name basis like we're pals anyway <laughs> we need to do good making money because if your driving force is just a home for your family which is you know a big part of why I'm I do my work is because I want to my family to feel safe it's a huge for, for my sake and their sake I want us to be financially safe and secure. That I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm really not. It's just if that's the end goal. So if it's just about a home for your family or to show people how much money women can make, to prove people wrong about who they thought you are, even if your drive is just to give a ton away to charity, which is a really noble, amazing thing to do. But in those situations, you're making money to do good not doing good, making money. And that's the definition or the, uh, the way that he talks about it in the book. Like I said, there is nothing wrong with 
um, wanting to give her money away to charity, wanting to um, prove people wrong. There's that's a there's a definitely I have find a lot of motivation in that. I enjoy being a surprise to people. I really enjoy that. But it is not the driving force. And I think when it is the driving force, there's something in us that needs to be healed. We need then, and I say that as someone who's gone who's gone through and is going through that. That's not me talking about anyone but myself. But if that's the end goal, what are we willing to do? So if the end goal is to make money to do good, if the end goal is to make money to do good, what are we willing to do before we get to the good? Because the problem there is that the belief, the subconscious belief maybe, is that we need to spend a lot of time making that money so we can do the good. But if we're doing good making money, then I believe, and this is what he says in the book, that we will be treating people better on the way. Because if you are making money to do good, what corners are you willing to cut? What taxes are you willing to avoid? What value will you scrimp on? Whose wages will you undervalue? How will you treat your staff? What competition will you attempt to crush? Who will you avoid bringing along with you in case they threaten your making money and your ability to do good later down the line? What systems, and this one feels so important to me, and I've seen this quite a few times, what systems will you replicate because they benefit you? We have to make sure we are not simply making money to do good. And it's so interesting because if you'd said that to me, if you said to me a few weeks ago even, like, you know, I'm, I'm making money to do good, I'd be like, amazing, that's amazing. And it was only as I started to ask myself this question and then I read that part of the book that I was like, oh, yes, that makes so much sense. Because when does the good start? We need to do good making money. We need to aim for what is beyond us, for something that impacts everyone. And, and I, so much of my message, so much of the stuff I talk about is this idea that there is plenty. I believe that when we are pursuing something that impacts everyone, not just ourselves, there will be plenty for us on the way. I absolutely believe part of this for me in the book, Simonson, it calls it a just cause. And I'm still refining what mine actually is, like the phrasing of it. But it's going to be something about I'm on a mission for people to understand that there is plenty out there for them. And I absolutely believe that on my way to doing that, there will be plenty for me to buy my house, for me to work with amazing people, for my kids and my husband and my extended family to feel financially secure on the way to that, because there is plenty. A cause beyond us and our smaller whys will be cared for within the journey. The houses, the bags. <laughs> I always talk about bags because one of the things that I would love is a Chanel. I don't know what they're properly called, but Chanel quilted handbag. I just would love that. The charities we want to support, the university funds we want to put in place, the altruistic businesses, the outward thinking businesses that we will start and on and on and on. I maintain there is nothing wrong with any of that. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with buying a mansion if that's what you want. But if your aim is just that, that's when I think we come unstuck. And like I said, it's referencing lots of things that I've seen over my five years doing what I do. But I do think that this kind of order of things 
will mean that we are not replicating systems that perpetuate problematic experiences, behaviours, and at the end of the day, it's what we are untangling in our own money relationships. This is the stuff that we're coming up against. So let's not replicate it so that people have to keep doing it. Let's free them for it, from it wherever we can. So yeah, do good, making money. I would love to hear how looking at things this way impacts things for you. I really invite you to wherever you can, detach yourself from the judgment piece, because it's very easy to go into that. And instead, just ask yourself about you. What does it mean for you? Where can you make sure that you are doing good making money? And what is the bigger thing that you are aiming for here in your business, in your money making? What's the bigger impact you want to have? Because the money is not the, the goal. The money's not the goal here. The money allows us space and freedom and power and impact. But it's the space and freedom and power and impact we're going for. The money is just like the fuel, I think, is what Simon Sinek calls it. Or like it's the thing that allows us to get there. But it shouldn't be the pursuit. It can't be if we're going to make this thing work. Right. Thanks for listening to me. I would love to hear your thoughts on this potentially controversial episode. And I'd love to hear how it lands with you and your own experience of all of this. Thanks for your support on the podcast. It means loads. Please do leave a review if you feel inclined to. We really appreciate those. And I will speak to you all soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Making Women. Please do go and leave us a review. They have a huge impact on getting podcasts like mine heard. I also wanted to let you know where you can find me. So if you want to find more of what I do, you can find me in my Facebook group, Money Making Women. Or you can find me on Instagram, I'm Ray underscore Dodd. I really want to say a special thank you to Emily Crosby, who edits these for me. And I will see you for our next episode.